Well, I want to begin by wishing all of you a very Merry Christmas. Um, for those of you listening online, uh, a Merry Christmas to all of you as well. Uh, we are going to pause on our journey through the book of Esther uh, until January. Um, I, I can't remember ever preaching a Christmas-themed sermon before. Um, maybe I have. I don't think I have. But I'm going to right now. That's, that's where I'm going to go. I like Christmas. I imagine many of you are probably big fans of Christmas. Yeah, I'm getting some north and south going on. So Christmas is awesome. Love Christmas. It's exciting. Um, just the sheer anticipation is something to behold. I mean, it's thick in the air. Christmas music dominates the airwaves, and Christmas movies dominate all things Hallmark. The smell of pumpkin spice permeates everything. Beautiful lights brighten the night with decorations galore. And in less than three weeks, it will be over. All the gifts will be unwrapped and worn or played with or returned to the store. The trees and the lights will come down, get tossed out or boxed up and put back in the attic. And it happens every year. There's almost a sense of letdown. It's so predictable. Every year, the same. Like, despite the fact there are few things that we experience with as much anticipation as Christmas, and then poof! It's over. And we're like, that was it? That was it? I almost tell myself, give myself a little pep talk. Okay, Joe, take it all in this time. Don't blink. Like, drink deeply from this moment. Like, I'm just taking a little mental picture. Snap, snap, snap. I don't want to forget it. I want to hold on to the moment. Try to hang on to it. And yet that moment just slips through my fingers like the air in this room. in a never truly satisfying way. And uh, this is our lives in the world that we live in, in the already but the not yet. What I've come to realize is that every year we celebrate Advent, that is the, the first coming of Messiah. We celebrate His victory over sin, and yet we we yearn for something else, for something more, for His second Advent, His second coming. In fact, it is His first Advent that reminds us of this. This is the source of our restlessness. As we long for a day when it finally ends, like creation groaning for the return of its King, so do we. So today I want us to Look at Romans, the eighth chapter. Not to fuel my Johnny Raincloud-like introduction, but to give us hope. Because I'm, I'm going to go on a limb right now to say that in 2019, some of us here really could use some hope. Some of us have experienced this last year a, a lot of disappointment and hurt pain that we might have just preferred to gone without. 
And uh, we need to be reminded of hope more than ever today. And uh, I mean, what greater hope is there than the gospel? Like the, the good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. That our king has come and that he's also coming again. That's, that's good news. And so Romans chapter 8, 19. It begins and it says this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This eager longing, this anxious longing. In the original language, is a very vivid word that literally refers to watching with an outstretched head and suggests even standing on tiptoes with eyes looking ahead with intent expectancy. There's the picture in verse 19. Creation, eagerly, longing, waiting. And Paul's audience here, they would have been very familiar with the promise of God, of a redeemed world, of a renewed creation. In fact, the prophet Isaiah spoke of such things in the 65th chapter. He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. The Jewish people anticipated a time when all pain and depression and slavery and anxiety and sorrow and persecution, when it would just finally be over with, and God would establish His own perfect kingdom of peace and righteousness. And he, he says, creation's longing for this, right? With this eager expectancy. Creation, the non-rational part, including animals and plants and all inanimate things such as mountains, rivers, plains, seas, heavenly bodies. Paul here is using personification of nature just as Isaiah had used it centuries earlier. When he said in Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the desert will be glad and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. And then later on in Isaiah 55, the mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And that's the scene in verse 19. Creation waiting eagerly on their tiptoes, looking expectantly ahead, almost like a little child saying, is it Christmas yet? Is it, is it Christmas yet? No, not yet. Is it Christmas yet? You asked me a minute ago. That's the picture. That's the scene here. In the present age, Sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between the Christians and the non-Christians. Um, sometimes the Christians don't act very Christian. Sometimes the non-Christians act more Christian than the Christians. But what he's saying here, this revealing of the sons of God in verse 19, is at the appointed time God will he'll reveal those who are truly His. This vivid picture in 19 of this hushed expectancy with which the whole creation awaits the disclosure of the coming glory. In other words, Paul is saying that in due time, in due time, everything will be made abundantly plain and clear. For the creation, for the creation, verse 20, 
was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Here we have the cause and effect of man's sin. No part of nature now exists as God intended it to be, as it originally was. It was subjected to futility, not willingly. But there is a a hope. It won't be like this forever, guys. Think about all the disappointment, the hurts, the pains of 2019 that perhaps has found its way into your life. Maybe a result of sin, maybe a result of whatever. It was never meant to be like this. But there's hope. There, There is hope. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The physical universe was frustrated. It was affected by Adam's sin, but there's hope. That's what he wants his audience to know and understand. And that's what it looks forward to with great Eagerness and expectancy is that hope. It's what we all look forward to. Whether you realize it or not, it's what we all yearn for. That there is a day that is coming in which creation itself will be set free. Free from corruption and to share with it the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Just as its sin brought the curse of death to the physical universe, a day is coming, this new heavens, a new earth. The Bible speaks about which they will take their place with the children of God in the perfect freedom of a sinless universe. For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's the picture. The whole creation, all of it, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The word groaning here, it, it refers to utterances or noises of a person who is caught in a dreadful situation and has no immediate prospect of deliverance. That's groaning. And creation, all of it has been doing this With no immediate prospect of deliverance, Martin Lloyd-Jones commenting on this idea, he says this, I wonder whether the phenomenon of the spring supplies us with part of the answer. Nature, every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has come out of the death and the darkness of all that is so true of the winter. In the spring, it It seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation, to be going through some kind of birth pangs year by year. But unfortunately, it does not succeed, for spring leads to summer, summer to autumn, autumn to winter. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the vanity, the principle of death and decay and disintegration that is in it, but it cannot do so. It fails every time. It still goes on trying as if it feels things should be different and better, but it never succeeds. 
So it goes on groaning and travailing in pain together until now. It has been doing so for a very long time, but nature still repeats the effort annually. Diana and I were driving to New Jersey last week. I was thinking about the change of seasons. I've probably told her this numerous times, but she indulges and, and lets me say it once more. Like, man, wouldn't it be great if, like, winter was, like, one month short and we could give spring an extra two weeks and fall an extra two weeks? I'm like, that'd be great, right? And I'm looking out. I'm seeing how everything just is dead and ugly looking and thinking about this verse. The groaning. The waiting. And nature is not alone in this groaning in this waiting in this longing verse 23 and not only creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies creation is not alone You wonder why you're restless? We have that, like, built into us, that yearning, that longing. Every true believer agonizes at times over the consequences of sin in our own lives. Some of you understand this far too well. It's like, oh my gosh, not again. I I went back to the same thing, right? I I keep making the same mistake. I go right back to it. And every time I'm like, all right, Not again, never again, not happening. And then a week later or two weeks or a month later, I'm back and I'm kicking myself. Because once again, I've gone there. Once again, I've returned like a dog, like a fool to the place that only brings you farther from God that makes all these promises. But no, no, it never delivers. It lies to you every single time. And the very thing I want, I want God. It just takes me farther from Him. Christians, we, we agonize over this. Man, I'm so sick and tired of it. Like, come on, Joe, get your act together. Not again. And we see the effects of sin. We agonize over it in our own lives, in the lives of people we care about, in the lives of people we don't know, even know. We see the effects of sin in the world because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That is, we are spiritually sensitive to corruption and sin all around us. That's why creation is not the only one agonizing over this. It's not the only one groaning for relief, for a fix. We groan as we wait. Until that day when we are glorified and and when we are fully liberated from sin through the redemption of our bodies. See, we've still got these unredeemed bodies that makes it very much possible for sin to harm us and, and to grieve God. And thus a very real susceptibility to sin and its effects. And that's what we're waiting for, right? This day when we'll have our glorified bodies, the redemption of our bodies. But the text also mentions, right, the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And at first, I think that might be somewhat 
confusing because you would say, well, I thought we were already adopted, and, and we are. I remember my conversation with my good chaplain buddy, Tim McMeans, and I said, Tim, when did Jesus save you? And he paraphrased, quoted Ephesians chapter 1, and he was like, he saved me before the foundations of the world. And that's true, right? Ephesians 1 is so clear that we are adopted before the foundations of the world. So yes, like we have already been adopted. That's what the New Testament speaks of believers as those who've already been adopted. But what he's saying here is that he is referring to us waiting for this ultimate perfection. And that ultimate perfection is the redemption of our bodies. Our salvation was planned by God in ages past before the foundations of the world. The Bible is pretty clear on that. Yet it was realized in the present. It's realized here in the present and is now characterized by hope for its future completion. There's a lot, right? Planned by God in ages past, realized here in the present, and is characterized by hope for a future completion. And that's what we long for. Ultimate, this ultimate perfection, the redemption of our bodies. A time is coming when we'll be free from sin, from pain, from temptation to sin. That the day is coming. In fact, that's what we hope for. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If you can see it, you don't have to hope for it because there it is. It's just reality, right? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Our salvation involves a hope. A hope that we wait for. A hope that one day we will be free. That we will be liberated from sin that still harasses us and the world that we live in. Now, we're not saved by hope. We're saved by Jesus. Okay? Jesus saves us, not saved by hope. Yet, our salvation is characterized by hope. And he continues to explain this, that in hope we have been saved. Our salvation planned by God in ages past, realized here in the present, and is now characterized by hope for future completion. And that is what we join with creation in waiting for, in, in longing for. And the, the good news... The believer's hope is not based on wishful thinking. The believer's hope of such a day coming, the redemption of our bodies, not based on wishful thinking or probability. Like, I hope that the Seahawks win the NFC West and get a first round bot. Okay? Not based on wishful thinking or probability. Or take, it, take another, another step, right? I hope the Rangers make the playoffs. Well, that's probably not going to happen. It's a rebuilding year. Understand that. No, but our hope, our hope is based on the rock-solid promises of God. See, that's what I mean by the already but the not yet. See, on the one hand, we are saved here and now, and our salvation is a present reality, and yet, 
We wait for the redemption of our bodies. We wait for when Messiah will come again. Uh, hope, and not yet a present reality. In other words, in this life, we cannot expect to experience the reality of our glorification. We only hope for it. In this life, can't expect it. But we hope for it. And since the believer's hope is based on God's promise, the completion of his salvation is more certain than anything he sees with his eyes. That's what he's saying here. This hope that you're looking forward to, it's like more certain, more guaranteed than anything I can see with my eyes. And that was his whole point, right? Because if you can see it, you don't need to hope for it. That's how certain that this day is coming. More certain than anything I can actually see. That's the point. The confidence that we have, and that's how he concludes the chapter of this book with the rock-solid promises of God. I mean, you get to verse 29. It says this in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He's making you more like his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And, oh, by the way, those whom he predestined, those whom he chose, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. It's an important word, right? We're justified. We are declared righteous. Not because we are righteous, but because of Christ's imputed righteousness given to us from what His Son did on the cross for us. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Like links in a chain, we see the progression of Paul's thinking. And he's like, listen, you can take it to the bank. You see the progression here? It's as good as done. And yet, we're in this already, but the not yet, and yet we still have to wait. And I'm not a big fan of waiting. I don't like waiting at all. Especially when you wait, and along the way of waiting, there's tears, and hurts, and pains, and all sorts of things that happen. I don't like that. Every year we wait for it to come. Like the seasons. And then we start it all over again, right? Here's winter, here's spring, here's summer. Maybe it'll last. Maybe this time it'll last. Nope. There's that restlessness in all of us. It's who we are by nature. You just think about your life growing up. You're a small child, and you're like, man, I can't wait until I'm double digits. I can't wait till I go from nine to ten. I'll have arrived at that point. Or from 12 to 13, that's a big jump. Or from middle school to high school. Oh, now I'm in high school. Oh, but man, I can't wait until I'm not a freshman any longer. Or some of you are saying that now in college. Right? There's that restlessness that we all have. Right? I can't wait for the next chapter of life. Oh, there's that anticipation built into us all. Man, once, once I'm done with this semester, if I can just get through this semester, right? And then another one comes. Or, man, I can't, just, I can't wait until I just, if I can just get that boyfriend and that girlfriend. Or I just get married or I just get... 
And one thing is replaced by another. One thing's replaced by another. Like, Christmas, it's coming. Can't wait. Anticipation building. I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to it with great and eager expectancy. And these things remind us that we are in the already, but the not yet. We are, we're saved, for those of us in Christ. We are saved people, yet we're still affected by Adam's sin. And so we like creation yearn, and we, we long for the fix. And all this is true about us right now in Christ. And yet in the space between, we're not simply waiting. Not simply waiting, uh, because God's on the move. And he's working. He's, he's working. He's on the move. He's refining us. He's teaching us. He's purifying us. He's transforming us. He's working for our good. Whether you realize it or not, He is. That's what verse 29 says. He's making us more like His Son that is conforming us to the image of His Son. He's doing that in 2019 amidst the hurts and the pains and the sins that harass us. What we all really long for amidst our innate restlessness is the second advent. In the coming of Christ, in the first advent, we, we have his life, we have his death, we have his resurrection, our hearts have found their home, and I, I'm no, by no means trying to belittle the first advent we, we breathe and we rest and yet we wait and we anticipate the second advent, the second coming of Christ. So the Christmas countdown begins. It's close. It's the 8th, 25th, it's coming. This is coming. And yet, I know for many of us, there will be a, a tinge of disappointment. Uh, growing up, I think I probably, I like the anticipation, the buildup more than Christmas Day itself. Just the, all things that are leading up to that day. I, I think I liked it more. And then that day will come and we'll be like, that's it? I mean, you know the feeling, right? 25th rolls around, it's like, it's over? Every year, does it? There'll be that tinge of disappointment. We're gearing toward this for Thanksgiving. Some people have been gearing toward it for much longer than that. And there's this great anticipation for what is to come. Yet, then there's this sense of letdown and disappointment. And the reason we're going to be disappointed is that all of this is a shadow of a greater reality. All of this is a shadow of a greater reality. Like what's going on right now is meant to focus us, meant to dial me in to an anticipation for a day that it'll be impossible to be disappointed by. <clears throat> I'll say that again because it's that important. All of this is a shadow of a greater reality. 
And it is meant to focus and dial you in to the anticipation of a day that is coming in which it will be impossible to be disappointed. So rich and deep is the love of God that at the consummation of all things, like 10 billion years from now, it'll be just as fresh and just as beautiful and just as exciting. And for some of you, if you're easily distracted, you get bored easily, you're like, yeah, no, like... uh, uh, it's not moving, battery's top. I'm done, right? Uh, no, like a day is coming when it'll be like 10 billion years and you'll still be just as excited. Such a day is coming. A day is coming when you won't be let down. When you won't be bored, when the ecstasy of anticipation will last Forever. So don't feel bad about this. When that... (laughs) That was it. It's over. Feeling comes. As it always does. We don't mourn like the world does. Like those who have no hope. Christians. See, this is true right now. Yes, right now we are getting closer to such a day in which there will be no more oppression. Oppression is losing its power. The lame are being rescued. Disease is losing its power. The exiles are being gathered. Brothers and sisters, we are alien strangers, elect exiles in this world, yet Christ, the great rescuer, The great Redeemer gathers His people for those of us who know Jesus like in a saving way. We have been brought home now in the already, but the not yet. And we sit in that. And we rejoice in that because that's awesome. And yet we also, we look forward to the second coming pleading for the second advent. This is why John ends the book of Revelation with, Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. My favorite Christmas song of all time is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So beautiful and haunting, the sound. One of the most ancient and oldest of all songs, dating back to the eight. Hundreds. Music was put to it, I think, in the 1850s. But early Christians would sing this as far back as the 800s, history tells us. This picture as we envision what it's like to be ancient Israel, longing, yearning for Messiah to come amidst the hurts and pains of this world. And yet, we do not yearn and look for him to come a first time. We look for him to come a second time. To be the fix. We join with creation in eager expectancy for that day when we will be freed from corruption and sin. That is what we look forward to in the already, but the not yet. God, we love you. And we thank you, God, for what Paul tells us here in this text. The hope that we have. The hope that he tells us. Like, like it, is, it is more 
accurate and true, he says, like that this day is coming, that we have this hope in you, though we haven't experienced it yet, in this day where our bodies will totally be redeemed when Messiah comes again to make all new. Like It is so happening that even the things that Paul can see and which he doesn't even have to hope for because he can see it, that this future day is more guaranteed than anything else. And so, Lord, um, help us to remember that we are elect exiles. The anticipation, the buildup, of course it'll let us down. But it was never truly meant to, to satisfy us. It was meant to point us to another day coming in which being let down is impossible. And so, Lord, help us to live our lives as strangers in this world with a hope, a hope that the world needs, a hope that we have to offer to them that you lived the life we couldn't live, that you died the death we should have died, that you paid the price we could not afford to pay. Oh, Lord, but our hearts, they say, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, Maranatha. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.